Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio and AM 950 in lovely, lovely Eden Prairie, Minnesota. How are you all? Hello. I'm here. Happy Monday. Happy Monday in January. Yes, I know. I know. But look, we're more than halfway through January. You know, and if you think about it, it's a month and a half till March. So less than a month and a half. And the days are getting longer. So it's all quite good. Welcome to another episode of LA 2.0 Radio, where we talk about idealism and idealists and highlight those who seek to change the world for the better. That would include moi. We've got a great show here. Um, I want you to plant in your mind... The word beloved, okay, B-E-L-O-V-E-D, beloved, because that'll come up in the C block. But I want you to start thinking about what does that word mean. And then the big interview will be with um, a Hamlin University professor and his student who are studying why poverty in Minnesota has not ended, even though there was a commission created in 2007 to end poverty in Minnesota by 2020. Guess what? It did not happen. But first, let's begin with our featured idealist. Um, It's someone most of you know. Certainly you've heard of his rock band. I'm talking about Paul David Hewson, which most of you have no idea who that is, more commonly known as Bono. Now you know who I'm talking about. Some basic music, or excuse me, some basic background there is music involved, about Bono. He was born in May 1960, so he's going to turn 60 this year. His birthplace was Dublin, Ireland. Um, He attended Mount Temple Comprehensive School, and it's very interesting because that school has turned out to be very critical to Bono's success because it was in school, that school, that he met his wife, a woman named Alison Stewart, now known as Alison Hewson, they were born. Uh, they were married in 1982. So Bono, this is not common knowledge, and at least not for me. He married his high school sweetheart, and he's still married. Um, and as well as it turns out that his school, his you know um, middle and high school, that his classmates from school, some of them, ended up to form the U2 band. So Bono, he is very, uh, I, I would guess, very sentimentalist um, because um, he, has, uh, he has stayed in touch with the people um, that he started, that he was in school with, which is, touches my heart because I've, con- I've been best friends with somebody since eighth grade. And so, I mean, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get this. Now, you may wonder why I'm highlighting a rock musician as an idealist. But it turns out that Bono has a social justice streak that's given him great visibility. Some of this is fueled by his religious upbringing. In Ireland, um, his mother was Protestant. His father was Roman Catholic. Also, um, and sadly, tragedy struck in Bono's life um, when he was a teenager. When he was just 14, his mother suffered a fatal aneurysm. Now, that's bad. Bad enough, okay, for sure. But the aneurysm occurred when his mother was at the funeral of Bono's grandfather. So all at the same time, Bono lost his grandfather and then he lost his mother. So there's a lot of tragedy 
and sadness involved in, at least in his early life. And that may also explain why he's stuck, he's held on to the people that he was in school with at the time. And I suspect a part of this, um, a part of, for a rock star, why he's led a very traditional life, um, has also, you know, it's, it's produced um, not only a high school sweetheart turned wife, but four children, two boys and two girls. I mean, you would not expect it by looking at Bono um, and listening to his music that he's actually living a very traditional, stable life. Um, so, now, what is it that Bono's done that earns him the title of idealist? Well, for one thing, uh, he gets the true meaning of idealism. So here's a quote um, from him. Quote, you see, idealism detached from action is just a dream. But idealism allied with pragmatism, with rolling up your sleeves and making the world bend a bit, is very exciting. It's very real. It's very strong. Unquote. Bono gets, he understands, he gets what it means to be an idealist and to make it work. And so, um, so what has he done? Well, for one thing, he's been a big proponent of easing debt for third world countries, uh, particularly those in Africa. Ultimately, his work to ease uh, debt, um, his, and he does not do that alone. He understands vividly um, the power of collaboration. He understands the need to involve other people. Um, his work, and along with others, about um, resolving uh, debt in countries resulted in 23 countries becoming debt-free. I mean, can you imagine the millions of people that that benefited? He's also been an advocate for increased spending to combat AIDS and HIV. In fact, in 2002, he helped convince President Bush to commit $5 billion for AIDS prevention. In the same year, 2002, Bono took the U.S. Uh, Treasury Secretary, a man named Paul O'Neill, on a four-country tour of Africa so O'Neill could under, better understand uh, some of the challenges those countries were facing. Bono's also been a big proponent of ending world poverty, um, fighting trade laws that prevent people from getting a fair price for their goods. He went on to establish an organization named DATA, D-A-T-A. It stands for Debt AIDS Trade Africa. <clears throat> He's also co-founded Project Red to help raise money to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. You can see the Project Red um, symbol um, if you look for it, because it's licensed by a number of companies that want to, you know, portray themselves as doing social good. So, for example, Amex, Converse, The Gap, Microsoft, um, all of them um, are licensees of Project Red, where a percentage of their profits go to the global, a global fund to fight disease. This is, you know, this is Bono's doing. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the man is extremely famous. He's a millionaire many times over. Um, he doesn't need to do this work. He could just be making music and making money and hanging out with his family. But no, he's pressing forward with other things. Bono's gotten, as a result of his work, he's gotten many, many awards for his work. He's been knighted by Queen Elizabeth, and the National Journal, which I love, has called Bono the most politically effective celebrity of all time. Wow. Okay. 
Now, finally, there's the music, um, which has earned um, Bono and his band, U2, 22 Grammy Awards and one Golden Globe. Um, much of their work has had social justice themes, many to do with the political upheaval in Northern Ireland, um, including the song Sunday, Bloody Sunday, about a 1972 incident where British troops shot and killed unarmed civil rights protesters. Um, I've actually been to a U2 concert. I have. A couple of years ago, they came and they performed um, at U.S. Bank Stadium. I have to tell you, it was a breathtaking experience for me, um, not only because of the music. The music, phenomenal music. I, I, I've been a U2 fan way, way, since way back in 1980 when I le- heard their music for the first time um, in, um, while I was in law school. But uh, at the concert I attended, it was the graphics that were also um, extremely um, compelling and uh, breathtaking. I think that that would be the word I would use for that. And many of those graphics were around social justice themes, around people struggling in poverty, around uh, war, the effects of war, around trying to prevent war. You know, and so um, I think it's kind of cool to have a rock star who um, has worked very hard to try and make the world a better place, who's not only, of course, looked out for himself and his family, but really has actively, actively looked um, to make the world better. So at age 60, um, I think that we can expect Bono to continue to play um, both music and to play an important role for change in our world. Frankly, I look forward to it. And here you go, um, a song by you 2 as we shut out this segment. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Better Futures Minnesota impacts the community by addressing root causes of poverty, homelessness, dependency on public assistance, and high rates of untreated trauma that often lead to incarceration. The lives of men served have been marked by chaos, violence, and loss, which contribute to feelings of devaluation, rage, and lost human potential. Healings from this trauma is essential before participants can succeed as workers, fathers, and responsible community members. Learn how you can support our efforts at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. And we're 
back on AM 950 LA 2.0 radio. Um, listen, check out Bono and um, and certainly, of course, check out the U2 music because uh, it's delightful music. I'm sure I've, right now I have people nodding their heads as they're listening to that. And so, all right, so that covered our first uh, segment, our first block, and we are now into um, my uh, B block where I have uh, some wonderful idealists here in the audience, or in the audience, in the uh, studio with me to talk about ending poverty in Minnesota. And so I have uh, with me uh, Jim Scheibel, um, who many of you may be familiar with his name. He's former mayor of St. Paul. Um, he has done a lot of other things in addition to that, and I'm sure that um, might come out in the interview. Um, and he's also presently teaching at Hamlin University. Jim, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Great to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you. And then I also have one of Jim's students, uh, Robert Greeno. Um, who is here, um, who is an undergrad who is studying both English and nonprofit management. Rob, thanks for being here on LE 2.0. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have both of you here, and I'm really grateful that you would make the trek out to Siberia to come to the station. Now, um, the reason I have you on the show is that um, I, I'm a big MinPost fan, and I'm like always uh, scanning MinPost. And I came across an article that showed up in MinPost at the end of December, um, uh, written by uh, you, Jim. Uh, well, I'm going to say probably written mainly by Rob and then one of your classmates, um, Tian Tula. Mm -hmm. Yes? Uh, actually, it was mostly Jim. I okay. All, all right. Well, written by Jim as well. I was just trying to make that work. Okay. Um, but it's, um, it's an article dated um, December 23rd. Uh, 2019. It's titled Learning from Our Past, We Must Renew Our Goal to End Poverty in Minnesota. And uh, what caught my attention about the article, uh, apart from the fact that ending poverty is, of course, a very important goal that I have personally, but what caught my attention about it was that um, there was a, a commission to end poverty that the legislature um, set up in 2007 where poverty in Minnesota was supposed to end by 2020. Do I have that right? That's what they claimed. Okay, all right. And so, um, uh, Jim or Rob, I'll let either of you figure that who wants to respond to this, but what was that commission about? And, uh, and another question is, why did it fall apart? Why didn't we get there? That's part of what the class wanted to explore, is why didn't they meet their goals? And... Um, I think it's not the only time there's a study say we should end this or do this. And, right. and um, when it started um, 10 years ago, I was encouraged that there was bipartisan support. Um, there was Republicans and Democrats, and there were a lot of people interested and said we should end poverty. Right. But it's 2020. I know. So much has and, happened in 13 years. It's no better. So um, what the class we explored and, and heard from people um, that work with people, um, everything from the crisis nursery to community action to the literacy council, we asked them, what happened? Why didn't it work? Why, why are they continuing the work they are? Okay. And so, Rob, what did you hear? What were they saying? And, and why didn't it go anywhere? Uh, or we, did it go somewhere? I mean, did it reduce poverty at all in Minnesota? Well, uh I mean, not, you know, not to the degree that we'd, we'd want to see by now. Um, 
I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, no, that, that's all right. Don't worry about it. I mean, here's here's a stat. I mean, in 2017, so I'm assuming that's the last available data, mm-hmm. you know, the poverty rate, you know, and poverty rates determined by the federal poverty guidelines in the federal poverty guidelines, yes? Yes. Um, you know, the poverty rate in Minnesota was close to 10%, um, 9.5%, 517,000 people. That's and a lot. It, it, it's 10% of the state. You know, and then we have another um, near 7% of the state where people are barely above uh, the poverty uh, guidelines. So, I mean, we're talking 16% of the state population that is struggling with poverty. So, Rob, what, what were you hearing from, you know, these nonprofits that came in and spoke? What were they saying as to why they didn't move, why the needle has not moved? I, I think we heard a lot about um, how... There's not a lot of representation um, when it comes to creating new ideas, bringing people who are actually affected by new policies and laws um, to the table when they're drafting those proposals. And I I also heard specifically this semester a lot about um, rent and housing prices, affordable housing, um, issues that we talk about later on in the MinPost piece. Right. Well, and you know, and it's interesting. I saw, I'm a big tweeter, uh, Twitter fan. I saw a tweet yesterday, you know, that the stock market had risen, you know, from the beginning of just the beginning of this presidential administration where it was somewhere in the, in the, in the teens to now it's, you know, it's 29,000, the, the, you know, the uh, NYE. And, but, the, but that the, the minimum wage hasn't changed. No, way what, behind. Whatsoever. And, and for years, one of the things we heard is that public assistance went decades without any kind of increase, went all those kind of costs. So, I mean, part of the question is, why is it so easy for us to ignore 10% or 20% of our population? And actually, Rob, I, I was um, interested. So we heard some 17 different people involved with fighting poverty. That's a lot. Okay. Uh, very committed, like they want to make this happen. Um, but the, So we asked them, what do they think needs to be done in poverty? And Rob, I found it interesting. Well, and then we had a forum at, um, at Hamlin, some 160 people uh, voted on the 17 recommendations the class put together. And I found it interesting, Rob, that the number one that you mentioned was You've got to have people at the table right? if you're going to make it work. How many of these 17, Rob, if you know, actually had on their board people from the communities that they were attempting to, to serve? I don't have a specific number. I think it's probably somewhere around, I, I mean, it's more than half. Like, it's, it's probably closer to like 75-ish percent, I'd really? say. Really? Okay, well, that was, that's a start. Yeah, the class <laughs> always asks that question. Who's yeah. on your board? Who's your leadership? How do you get input? Okay. Um, and then the, the bigger question is, are they just token? You know, do you have a board of 25 people and then you have just one from the community that you're attempting to serve? And I, I'm assuming you didn't drill down that deeply. We did a little bit. Oh, um, okay. There, there were <laughs> a, two or three situations where I, I personally was like, well, maybe there could be a, a bit of an improvement. But um, for the most part, I felt that people were actively trying to get the people that they're trying to help on the board of directors. Okay, all right, well that's, I mean, that's great. And and, and Jim, you talked uh, that um, 
Um, well, we're going to have to take a break here. But when we come back, you talked about a number of recommendations that your class made. And, um, and is this a report that, they, that the class issued that's publicly available? Because unfortunately, I did not see the report if it's out. It's, it's on the website for the Center for Justice and Law. Part of Hamlin University. Okay. All right. Well, look, we'll talk more about that. I'll be able to let you give the website address when we come back from the break. All right. Well, listeners, we've been speaking to uh, Rob Greeno and uh, Jim Scheibel from uh, Hamlin University about um, their work in their class um, studying why poverty has not ended in Minnesota. When we come back from our break, we'll talk further about that. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at elliekrug. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Um, you're listening to me. We've been having a conversation with uh, Rob Greeno and Jim Scheibel, both from Hamlin University. Rob happens to be an undergraduate student in one of Jim's classes. Jim is teaching uh, there. Um, and uh, we've been talking about um, their semester-long uh, study of why poverty in Minnesota didn't end when it was supposed to end by 2020. And before we started to take the break, uh, Jim, uh, you had said that the class has created a report um, on, uh, I'm assuming, on why the 2020 goal wasn't met with some recommendations to meet a goal at some place in the future. Is that right? That's right. Okay. And can you tell, where is that report? And if um, listeners want to go to it, where would they go to? Well, the form we held to look at the recommendations and then the attendees voted on sort of their top five, which we which we wrote about. But they can go; people can go to Hamlin.edu, and I think it's backslash um, Center for Justice and Law. Okay, or they can probably just Google Center for Justice and Law, Hamlin University, and they'll find. Is there a, a web page that'll have uh, the report? Right, and on they'll it? have the. Um, the report. Okay, great. All right. Well, that's that's wonderful. And so I think it's great, uh, Rob, that you had a class where you put put a report together and you've got something that'll go on and go forward. It's a little yeah. bit better than just taking a final and there's the end of it. You never see it again. It was a wonderful class. Oh, oh, okay. You, you have your grade already. Right, though, the right? grade. I do have my grade already, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk um, more on the I want to talk more on the on the five thousand foot level, and then uh, both of you, I, you. The question is going to come because everyone on the show gets it about why are you idealistic? Okay, all right. But Jim, on the five thousand foot level, what 
what can we do? I mean, how how can we get to the point where um, 15% of Minnesotans aren't living in poverty or on the edge of poverty? Well, our, our guests, if I could summarize, sort of had two perspectives. Okay. Um, and, and it's really, David Shipler wrote a book years ago, The Working Poor, which I inspired me and said, we got to do something. But he wrote about one, we need to have the skills. And he said, in a way, we have the skills. And we, I think we saw that in the report, that we know we need to take care of early childhood with programs like right. Head Start. Um, there's kids that are coming out of, out of foster care. There's um, people that are chemically dependent. There are people just the minimum wage. They don't make enough. And clearly, there's not a, enough affordable housing. So it's sort of like we know what to do. But David Shipler and we heard from the speakers, the question is, it's a question, do we have the will? And right, because people have to people have to put themselves out there. They have to expend political capital to push that, and they have to deal with um, people that are going to push back. Right. Yeah, with the caucuses in Iowa coming up very shortly, um, how much do we hear the candidates talking about ending poverty? They'll talk about the middle class, right? But are they talking about? a good portion of the population in our communities that's today. A, that's a really great point. That's a really great point. So, Rob, I'm assuming you're a student, right? I mean, yes. and so you're probably living a little um, close to the poverty line at this point. Do I have that about right? <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah. I'm living with my parents right now, so ah. I'm saving a lot on rent. Okay, but. all right, okay. But, and the reason I brought that up is I'm, I'm assuming you've got perspective now being a student in terms of how things cost more for you and how, um, you know, you've got to make ends meet. Has that enlightened your perspective at all about what it means for people to live in poverty? Yeah, um, a whole bunch. Uh, since I started going to Hamlin, uh, I, I've been a little bit more independent and I've been paying for, you know, the things that I haven't paid for in the past, like car insurance and phone bill, you know, TV, Wi-Fi, stuff like that. Um, it, it changes your perspective entirely on how people are living now and, and the amount of money it takes in this country just to kind of exist uh, in a suitable level, you know? It, 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 Wi-Fi costs a lot more than people expect, and yet you need an internet connection to do just about anything nowadays. Right. Well, of course, and, and we have stories where there are parts of the country that aren't, you know, that don't have... Um high um, capacity um, internet and, and you know students are suffering they're not being able to uh, study they're not being able to get their homework done Jim um, I wanted to ask you because off uh, off mic we had st we started to talk about one idea I mean one th there's a solution out there already to a certain degree which are um, AmeriCorps and, and Vista can you talk about that please well wh one of the things um, why I love teaching at Hamlin and students like Rob um, one they're idealistic um, but also, 40% um, of our students are first generation. Wow, that's a great number. About 40% are people of color. So, Rob, I'd say we live in the real world, and that's why people choose Hamlin. And so mm -hmm. I think the will to do something comes from that. And one of the somethings people can do um, is national service with the AmeriCorps and VISTA, which has came out of the war on poverty, continues to right. build capacity around the issue. And um, I love hearing students, um, so many of them, it's on their list to do when they graduate. It's hopefully to make some money, 
But um, I'm just so impressed how many students say they want to make a difference, they want to give back. So, Jim, in 30 seconds, tell us, how does AmeriCorps and VISTA work? I mean, the student goes, they devote, they sign a contract, they say they're going to do what for what? Well, they spend one year in service. It's the domestic Peace Corps. Okay. Um, and a real bonus is after your service, they receive an educational grant of close to $6,000, which can be used to pay off a loan or go on to further education. And, and just the experience. I mean, it's it's a life-changing, transformative experience. Right. And they're paid minimum wage or something like that? A stipend. A stipend. Okay. And they have health insurance. And they have health insurance. Okay. All right. And that's not a program that we've lost through the current administration. So, right? No, there's good support. Okay. And one of the things um, that I've you know, heard, of course, out of uh, from Mayor Pete is he has this idea of national service that everyone should be required to go through national service as a requirement of just your passage as being an American. Frankly, for me, I, I love that idea because not only would it be about great doing great things for our country, but it would be about causing a lot of people to be in rooms with people they would otherwise not ordinarily be with. Yeah, the question I'd like to leave with the students is Harris Wofford, who was one of my mentors, former senator from Pennsylvania, college president, head of head of national service, he always said the question isn't, should I serve? The question is where? where? And I'd love to have that. I, we have that discussion as students, not are they going to serve, but where? Are you thinking of VISTA or AmeriCorps, Rob? Actually, yeah, um, I have. I was talking with my parents. I'm coming up on the, uh, the age limit where they cut you for eligibility. Oh. So I, I'm, I'm honestly considering taking a semester and, and going and trying that out. What is the age limit? I think it's 25. For oh. health insurance. Twenty. Oh, is that it? I think it's when you turn 26. Oh, 26. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So now... Uh, I'm far from that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, hon. So, all right. So with the time that we have left, I do want to ask about how and why you're idealistic. And Jim, we'll, I'll ask you first so that Rob doesn't get put on the spot immediately. What made you an idealist? I mean, your whole... And we haven't even really gone into your whole resume... Um, but your whole life is one of idealism. How did you get there? Um, it goes back to my high school and first couple of years of college at Nazareth Hall in St. Paul, which was a seminary. And um, I was inspired by people who followed Dr. Martin Luther King, <laughs> uh, people like Daniel Berrigan, um, who yep. resisted the war, um, candidates like Robert Kennedy and Jane McCarthy. Um, so I had a great boot camp to be an activist. Okay, but it's not necessarily a given. I mean, there are a lot of people that heard Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy and other people, and they just went on and became, you know, created their own businesses and never gave back, never tried to change the world. But we had a great faculty, people like Father um, Ed Flavin and Okay, so you got inspired. I mean, so you're, you're young, and something grabbed you to do that. Yeah, we read The Other America by Michael Harrington. Okay. It said there's poverty. <laughs> And I haven't been very successful ending it. Oh, well, you know, one of the, uh, what, part of what I love about the story of Bobby Kennedy is that he had a transformational experience around poverty and understanding, you know. And I, I mean, I just, I, what I love is that he, he's an example of how you can pivot once you have, once you're educated, once you have some experience. So, Rob, what's made you an idealist? You are, you are a younger person and... And I'm, 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 I'm loving that you are here, and I'm loving that you're, you know, getting to learn from Jim. What's made you idealistic? All right, I'll try to keep this sort, short. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey, 
um, which is the most densely populated state in the nation. Um, all sorts of people living there. And when I was 12, I moved to Minnesota and was suddenly put in a community that was like almost completely homogenous and extremely privileged. And I, I just, you know, there were, there were discrepancies in how people were living and the opportunities that were afforded to people. And I do think that idealism comes easier when you are privileged. Um, you know, you don't have to worry too much about your basic necessities and you can try and take the empathy you have and channel that into doing something good. Um, however, I, I've always kind of viewed idealism on a spectrum with pragmatism and mm -hmm. uh, I, I've considered myself for a long time just a pragmatist um, even though I was very idealistic. I, I wanted to solve problems that I could see in front of me and, uh, and take small steps to achieve big change. And we had um, a person come in and talk in the class. I, I cannot find the name. I'm so sorry. I want to attribute that quote to someone specifically. But they, they said, you don't need to be a pragmatist or an idealist. You need to be both. <laughs> you need to embody qualities of, of both sides of that spectrum, yep. if you're going to view it that way. And um, that really changed how I thought about the entire issue. And uh, it's made me rethink how I view idealism and, and how I'd like to pass on idealism to the people specifically in, in my community. Um, because I feel like people in my community maybe don't see poverty as much as they should, right. aren't exposed right. to it. And that I know for a fact will harm any efforts to end poverty. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you use the word pragmatism. I call myself a practical idealist, okay? Mm -hmm. But... But idealism is a vacuum unless you act. I mean, you, you, you really can't be an effective idealist sitting on your Barco lounger at home with the clicker. It's just not going to work. So I'm glad that you recognize that and you realize that. Um, and, and, and I'm really thrilled that you're using the word idealism because we do not use that word enough. And we need to have that word recirculate. It needs to come up again and because it, it does, I think, just the word grabs people. What do you think, Jim? Um, come visit Hamlin. Um, one of the <laughs> courses, I, I teach a first-year seminar um, every year, and they're idealists, and they're practical, um, but they want to make a difference, and they have strong feelings. So it's what gives me hope, oh. which keeps me to be an idealist. Oh, my God. I just, I, I love it. I, I would love to have both of you back on the show again. I really would, um, because I'd love to hear more about the work that you're doing at Hamlin. And, and Rob... I want to keep track of you, okay? I really do, all right? Because I think that um, you got the right uh, approach, and you certainly, you're, 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 you know, you got to walk the walk, okay? I'm trying. Any, any, any last thoughts, Jim? We've got a lot to do. Yes. Yeah, we sure do. All right, well, listeners, we've been um, speaking with... Uh, um, uh, Rob Greeno, who's a student at Hamlin University and maybe soon to be a uh, AmeriCorps um, volunteer. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Scheibel, who is extremely distinguished um, here in the Twin Cities, uh, with including a stint as the former mayor of St. Paul, who now is teaching at Hamlin. And Jim, I just want to tell you, with the full heart, thank you for what you're doing, because 
it's not going to work unless we share our knowledge and our idealism with younger people. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, listeners, um, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. When we come back from our break, I'll do my C block and talk about what work I've done. I had this incredible experience yesterday at a church where I spoke. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at betterfuturesminnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. And we're back on AM950, LA 2.0 Radio. Okay, I'm sorry. I just loved the last segment that we just did with uh, Jim Scheibel and Rob Greeno. I, I, I love it when I have idealists here in the, room w- in the room with me, which, of course, most of the time that's what I have, but I really love having young idealists with me. So make sure, if you've got a chance, go to the Hamlin Center for Justice and Law Reform, excuse me, Law Forum on the website. All you have to do is Google Hamlin Center for Justice and Law Forum. And you're going to find this report on poverty that they did. I, I think it's very important to take a look at it. So even though I have not yet done that, I'm going to do that. So, all right, now we're in my C block where I talk about my work as a practical idealist. <clears throat> and I am thrilled to report after a five-week hiatus, I am back to doing what I love, um, which is, um, and I think maybe possibly what I was born to do, which is talking to audiences about having compassion for others and for oneself as my way of being an idealist, as my way of trying to change the world. God, we don't have enough of that compassion being shown, do we? So, um, uh, so, uh, so since the beginning of the year, I've been speaking at a number of churches and nonprofits. I've been doing some pro bono work um, because <clears throat> I just need to get out and do the work. Yesterday, I spoke at uh, Falcon Heights Church. I think it's the Falcon Heights Church of Christ, but they call it the Falcon Heights Church. I gave two talks, uh, one that was Transgender 101 before the Sunday service. And then, um, in lieu of the sermon, uh, during the main service, they let me speak, and I gave a talk on Bridging Our Divides. Uh, The pastor at Falcon Heights Church is a very cool dude. His name is Rick King. Uh, Reverend Rick is what we call them, or they call him. And I've got to tell you, he's very decent. He's down to earth. Um, 
He is just somebody uh, that um, really gets it in so very many ways. Two things stand out about my experience at Falcon Heights Church. Um, First, uh, it was the theme uh, of the Sunday, and that theme was um, beloved humans. So remember at the beginning of the show, I asked you to remember the word beloved. And, um, and so, um, last, you know, this Sunday yesterday was, um, I'm not really great on the Bible, sorry, but it was um, the story about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and how at that point um, uh, a voice came down from the heavens and <clears throat> a voice of God, um, according to the Bible, and that um, the voice in part said that Jesus was his beloved son. And so the word beloved was the theme for this Sunday. The other thing that was uh, the standout for me yesterday was um, at this church, there's a part of the service where they bring the children up um, to the front of the church. Uh, And apparently they do this every every Sunday. Apparently there's some kind of lesson for the children around uh, the liturgy for that day. Um, And what... What really grabbed me was that Reverend Rick, now you've got to understand, Reverend Rick probably stands about six foot two. Um, He grabbed a child's chair. So we're talking like a kid's chair. He grabs that, puts that down in the front of the church. He sits on it while the children come and gather around him. Um, And yesterday what he did, and I've got to just tell you, it grabbed me and I almost started crying, is he had a, a large mirror as he had the children uh, seated around him. A couple of parents were along there because the children uh, get intimidated, of course. But he had a mirror, and he grabbed one of the kids, or, you know, he held the mirror up in front of the one of the children, and he said, mirror, mirror, who is the most beloved of all? And so, um, and the first child uh, just really didn't get it, didn't understand it. Um, the second child got got a little bit closer, but eventually what Reverend Rick had to say to the third child was, mirror, mirror, who is the most beloved of all? And Reverend Rick said, who's looking in the mirror? And the child said, me. And Reverend Rick said, that's you, most beloved. Oh my God, I've just got to tell you, it just... It just grabbed me. I love, first of all, I love the imagination. But secondly, um, what a wonderful message to be giving to young children. What a wonderful message. You know, the point was clear that we need to constantly reinforce in our children, um, the children that are in our lives, we need to reinforce that they, that they matter, that they are worthy Um, so much of the messaging that our kids, and by kids, I am talking, you know, preschool all the way up through high school and into college, so much of the messaging that our kids get is that they don't matter, that they are lesser. We get, they get this through social media, they get it through peer pressure, um, and, and this is partly why we have so many children that are detached. This is why we have many children who are depressed. It feeds into bullying. It feeds into all kinds of things. 
And so I loved the message. I really love the word beloved. I really do. I mean, it is a special word. When you talk about hierarchy, I have, I don't know about you, but I have a hierarchy of words. Beloved pretty much is right at the top. Following that is the word cherish. I really um, use the word cherish. I use it sparingly, but when I use it, it is real. I mean, there are many people in my life that I cherish. There are. And I actually, I do tell them that. I do. And um, beloved, uh, yeah, I use those words, that word as well. I've got a couple of daughters who know that um, I've got a couple of daughters and then I have a number of friends that I call third daughters that I have said are beloved. So here's what I ask that you do, listeners, okay? Please remind the younger people in your life how much you love them, okay? And how much they really do matter in this world. Those are two different things. All of us get this thing about telling people that we love them. We all get that. But not many of us get the need, get it, that it's needed to tell younger people that they really matter, that they are worthy, that they have worth in this world. And will you do me one other favor? When you tell your younger person that, will you do it in writing? Will you send them a note? And don't do a text, don't do a email. Use pen and paper, pen and note card, send them a note and let them know that you love them and that they matter. All right. That's another show we've got in the can. There you go. Um, a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis over in St. Paul. Let Bev know I sent you because she does incredibly great work and Better Futures Minnesota. Um, who are giving people second chances. A big thanks to my, my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you rock. I love how you can always pivot on a dime. And to you, my listeners, please talk and share about this show. We're trying to make this national. I know, big hopes, Ellie. And follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug or on Instagram at Ellie J. Krug on Instagram. Um, in the meantime, I'll talk to you next week. Be good and be well.